So this is a boot, and now a little booty, so I can walk around. But I'm about three inches taller right now. Don't be intimidated. I'm still humble. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. So glad to see everybody here. God is good. Amen. We're going to end the year by personally applying the Word of God to our lives. As we get the slide up, I want you to get this phrase in your heart today, that God is going to do more in 2024 than you have ever seen before. There are times in our lives that are marked by seasons, and they have reasons. Oftentimes, it has to do with the calendar. And so I don't want to be superstitious and say every time a calendar event comes around, we need to look at a different season for a different reason. But I do want you to be cognizant. I want you to be aware that calendars oftentimes mark different seasons for reasons. Can I hear an amen? I think that the yearly calendar is one of those opportunities where the Holy Spirit is looking to partner with us to have something new come upon the earth. When you and I look back at biblical history, we see that the different holidays and festivals were important to God for the sake of his kingdom among the people. Can I hear an amen? Come on, you have to believe that he had that calendar for a reason. Now, our calendar today is not based on the Jewish calendar. So if we were celebrating Jewish New Year, it would be at a different time. But God also understands our culture and what's important to us. And so in our culture, we mark the changing of a year at this time to help incorporate a society into the same function of what it means to end a fiscal year, to end the school year or a graduating year and so forth. And so it will be the, the school year of 23-24 uh, moving forward for the college. And then this will now mark the end of that school year and so forth. And this is important to God as I have seen in my my life because I recognize that as the year is changing, whether it's for schools or whether it's for businesses or whether it's even in our, uh, our everyday life looking at things expiring or being renewed, God is there to meet us to do something great in our life. Can I hear an amen to that? I just want you to track with me because at the same time, there are things that you need to continue to do from 23 to 24, and it's not going to be new. And so I don't want you to be so superstitious and be like, well, I have a wife now in 23, so now God's going to give me a new one in 24. That's not how it works. Are you guys tracking with me? Or I made a commitment to somebody in 23, and now it's 24, and I don't have to keep that commitment. So there are things that will remain from year to year. Amen. But then there are also things that are going to renew and to be changed, and they're going to be new. And so now I want you to think about this in the state of your life right now. What about just in the natural, before we go to the spiritual, what right now in the natural changes for you in 23 to 24? Have you already gotten some updates from apps? Hey, your app is going to renew. I've already got some of those. Are you looking at some of your mortgages? And are you saying, well, this year I can refinance? Are some of you looking at your, your, uh, your car payments and saying, this year it's going to be concluded? Or uh, different things in your life that 24 already marks a change of a season. Just think right now, are there things in your life? Maybe you're graduating school year this year, so you're going to be the graduating class of 23, whether it's elementary or high school or college. Are you tracking with me? So just think in the natural what that means, and now begin to apply that to the spiritual. 
and start to ask God, what does that mean? Because God should be involved in every part of our lives. Right now, you should be thinking about what house God wants you to move into or what God wants you to do with the refinance or the car payment. I mean, you should already be thinking about that. God, what do I do? Where, where do I go for a new car? I mean, you have all of these opportunities in front of you. Should I buy it in cash this year and not have a car payment? Should I go to the Nissan dealer as opposed to the Lexus dealer? I mean, where, where am I going? Also, as you're thinking about with your graduating or completing things in your life or fulfilling obligations, we have people in the military here and maybe you're finishing your obligation I just met with a brother and I believe in 24 he finishes his obligation so he's already thinking about that these are important principles that God wants you to pray about and apply to your life and what I want to do for this message and also for the second service message is give you opportunities to believe for something more than you've ever seen before amen Amen. Help this brother. We're going to keep an eye on you, okay? Get one of my ushers sitting next to him, okay? Open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. When we come to church and we hear a preacher preach like this, you have one of two opportunities. You can say, well, that's just for him or for the Christians there that get all hype at the end of the year to start a new year. Or you can say, I'm receiving this as a now, thus says the word of the Lord. Amen. Like you have a choice when you hear this to say, I, I, I don't think it's for me. I'm just going to let this pass me by. Or you can grab a hold of it and say, this is for me right now. I'm taking as a thus says the Lord. This is mine. Amen. I want to be honest with you. Last year, I was getting ready to come into 23. And I was looking over my life. And I was beginning to look at my finances. And I almost let the year start without me getting serious about something that I was doing. As I mentioned to you last week, trading and so forth, taking on extra income. And I have the opportunity to set goals and set records this year. But, I, but I'm just being real with you. I almost let it pass me by because I was so much in the grind. I was so much in the work of it that I didn't take a moment to stop and write down and to pray and to begin to ask God to bless it. I just thought it was going to be me working to see it come to pass. And oftentimes we think it's either or. I'm going to work really hard or I'm going to pray really hard. I need a miracle. After we've done everything, now I need a miracle. I, you know, don't try to fix it. Don't try to work on it anymore. It's just, it's, just, it's just over in the natural, so now just pray. Or there are other things. Hey, man, you don't need to pray about this. Just get to work. Just get to work. And what people don't understand is that it's always both and. It's not just pray and not work, and it's not just work and not pray. It's always both and. As the old timers used to say, do all that you can do so that God can do what only he can do. Amen? You have to get to that point where you recognize that there's a part that we play and there's a part that God plays. And sometimes people try to, you know, insert that idea into salvation and saying, you know, if you take your step, God will take his step, making it sound like salvation is 50-50. And they misunderstand what the Bible's talking about when it says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. What that says is 100% of salvation belongs to God. 100% of the rescue mission belongs to God. But the willingness for you to move towards God in your heart, to step away from unbelief, to come out of your sin, that does depend on you. But you never participate in saving yourself. Can I hear an amen to that? You have to understand that. But there is a participation, as I like to say, a dancing with the divine. 
Now, just before we read this, there are going to be people, because I always think about your friends, I always think about where you're going to your job, and, and there, there's going to be people there who will have nothing to do with the scriptures that we're going to read. They're not going to give tithes and offerings, and yet they will increase this year as well, and they'll give something else the glory for it. They'll say, I did this by my own hands. I worked hard. I came early and stayed late. And then in some way, and I want everybody to look up at me, please, in some way, they're going to try to diminish what you do with God by saying, what does it really purpose to, to do all these things for God when I outperformed you or did just as good as you? And I didn't go to church. I didn't hear that preacher shout at me for an hour, and I didn't have to re memorize Scripture and give tithes and offerings. They'll say that in a way of mocking, but I want everybody to understand this. Pharaoh's kingdom was great, but it was only great for so long. Babylon was great. I mean, we're not diminishing the greatness here. We're not playing make-believe, right? Babylon was great, but it was only great for so long. You see, the difference between us and the world is that our treasures are primarily in heaven, and they do not rust. They do not diminish. They only get greater over time. And the kingdom of God will rule this earth. So do not be distracted by the temporary blessings of this world, quote-unquote blessings, to think that that somehow changes the need for the Word of God. It's both and there as well. One of the key concepts that you have to learn is that God wants to bring his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And as he does, there's a time and there's seasons for that as well. And the wicked may seem like they prosper right now, and they may seem to do less than you do right now, and they may seem to even be ahead of us in some ways right now, but that's not how God wants us to see it. God wants us to see it with 2020 vision, what it looks like beyond the temporary. God wants us to see that what we're looking at is only temporary. He cares about the temporary. He's involved in the temporary. But he wants you to know all of this will fade away. But his kingdom lasts forever. And those who, everybody get this, those who danced with the divine, those who intermingled into their life, the kingdom of God will not only have a reward here, will have eternal treasures in heaven that never disappear. And so that's what he's looking for. And so that they're... They are showing that there's one component because every good gift comes from God. They are showing that hard work pays off. They're showing ingenuity works. You know, if they're not lying, stealing, or cheating about it, you know, they're showing that God has blessed them in that way, what we would call the general blessings of God. But what they haven't understood is the purpose of those general blessings. The purpose of the rain that falls on the wicked and the righteous is to give the, the glory back to him as you plant the seed as you're a farmer. That you know all good things come from God. You see, we're a little bit disconnected from the agricultural world, so we don't always understand it. But imagine living in the agricultural world. You can't control the rain. You can't control the sun. You can't control the dirt. You can't control the biology or, or you know, what's going on rather inside that little, that little plant. You know, you can't control that. But you have to trust that you understand the times and the seasons. And when a farmer saw those things come to pass, they were able to give glory to God. And, of course, the pagans did to their own God. But remember, this because the pagans gave the glory to their false God doesn't make that false God true. It was still the real God that was sending the rain, gave forth seed, time, and harvest. Can I hear an amen? Whether they had the right God or not, they were applying those principles. 
And so, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged by that because way, the way the world works is still based on the principles of God. So that person that says to you, well, I did all of this and I did it without God, just say this, hey, make your own oxygen and start breathing that and I'll believe you can do something without God. Why don't you make your own brain cells work and then I'll believe you did something without God. As the old joke goes, Satan said, I could do this better to God one day and just give me a shot. And God said, okay, I'll let you do it. And then Satan goes, okay, I'm ready. And then God says, well, start by making your own dirt. Then make make your own earth and then go from there. Let's see you do it, Satan. You know, that's the joke. He can't even make dirt. We can't make nothing out of uh, something out of nothing. God alone can do that. To speak it, bring it forth. Even Satan is an imitator. And so, brothers or sisters, let us stay focused on what we're doing because as you look at the narrative of the scriptures, you see that, yes, Joseph is in Egypt, and Egypt is large and in charge at that time. And, and I'm sure that there were other fellow slaves or co-workers that even mocked him. And said, why don't you worship our gods? Why don't you get favor this way? Why are you not eating what we're eating, even like they did in the time of Babylon with Daniel and his friends? You know, I can imagine people mocking him and saying, you're not going to make it here very long. But he served God in the midst of that system. And God blessed him in a way that only God could get the glory for. And then when God exalted him, he had his character. He had the covenant of God. And so when he had the blessing of God, he was able to stay in that position where oftentimes the world has gifts and talents that bring them to the mountaintop of success, but not the character or the covenant with God to stay there. And that's why there's always a great fall after a great lifting up. And you follow their lives, and yes, they're self-made, but they're a self-made mess. And that's why you see how their life's always in turmoil. See, I would rather be like Joshua, excuse me, Joseph in Egypt, seeing the greatness of the world around me, and yet putting God first in my heart, knowing that he's greater than all those kingdoms. So yes, I see, I see, I'm with you, I'm with you. I see what entertainment people are doing. I see what politicians are doing. But I'm not strained from my God. I'm not strained from those principles because I know money in of itself is not my source. God is my source. I know that relational, you know, advancement is not my source. The relationship I have with God is my source. And and, and certain tidbits of knowledge that pass through the universities and, and and the trades and all of these things, those may bring temporary success but they're not my foundation the foundation is God and his word amen are you talking with me so I want you to be able to hold your head up high to stand on that firm foundation and if people mock you for putting God first give God the glory and the praise anyhow show them say okay well you got me this year you outperformed me in sales this year but I still got my marriage where's your marriage hello I don't have to go to the bar at happy hour and drink five drinks to forget all my problems. Hello. Tell on them a little bit. Help them realize who they are. Show them a mirror. Amen. Don't make up stuff and don't judge them on the way that, you know, don't, don't condemn them to hell. But let them see who they really are. Because what they're not telling you is all the, the, the prices, the sacrifices they have to make to their idol that doesn't give back to them as our God does. Everybody's sacrificing to an idol. Everybody's giving up their time and attention to that idol. Whether it's their own success, whether it's their their own dream of finances. And the thing about it is idols aren't real, so they can't give back to you what you give to them. And that's what, you know, these, these people say is that money don't love you. 
You can love it, but it don't love you. How many understand that? It will leave you. It will forsake you. It will jump into somebody else's pocket just as fast as it jumped into your pocket. Don't love money. It does not love you. The things of this world will turn on you in a moment. And so we have to remind this world. Number one, we have to remind them that there is a God that created us for the desire of success. And so we compliment them. We, we encourage them. We don't look down on them and then try to say, well, just because you're going to hell, that doesn't mean anything. No, it does mean something. It does mean something that they build these things the way that they do. That's, that's impressive. But we have to remind them to give glory to God. And then we have to say to them, we will be successful as well. We're just going to do it the way God told us to do it. And as we learn through these things today, and as you're looking at your year, I want you to spiritually apply them to your life and to take it serious because if I, as a pastor, can almost let the year pass me by, you know, the beginning of the year, w without taking serious this, this thing that I was doing, it can happen to all of us right here. We, we could just think to ourselves, well, I'm pregnant again. Okay, it's time to have a baby. Instead of understanding there's something happening right now for this year to prepare you for a blessing of that child. And you need, to, you need to prepare room for it, not only in the nursery of your house, but you need to prepare room in your prayer time and in, in, in your devotion to God. Amen? Houses, land, family, relationships, blessings, uh, the work of the ministry, these are going to increase this year in our lives as we come to the Lord. And at the same time, I want to just share this as well, and I'm so glad that Lauda did. I love our church. We're definitely a word of faith church. We're going to give you the word, have you stand on faith and speak it. But we're also a word of the Lord church, and there's oftentimes death in the word of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? It's not maybe the, fact that the best amen you want to say right now, but there's death in the, in the Bible. There's time to say goodbye to people in the Bible. There's also times of judgment in the Bible. And so this time last year, think about it. I was preaching to some of you and you still had your child with you, but you don't now. Some of you still had a sibling with you and you don't now. Some of you had a parent or a grandparent with you and you don't now. We, we, we had to go to some funerals in 23, didn't we? We didn't want to go. It wasn't our desire to go, but we had to trust God that he is the God of, the, of, of, of both the one who gives life and takes life. We had to trust the sovereign king. Amen. And I know we prayed for miracles all along the way. And there's people, uh, come on, let's be honest, that some of you should have died, but you didn't. Hallelujah. There are some of you that you should have lost your mind, but you didn't, and you're here. There are some of you that should still be on drugs, but you're here now in the name of Jesus. Some of you might have been tempted to go back to your life, but you're here now. And so we, we thank God through it all. Amen. We praise him through it all because we see that everything is Father filtered. So understand this, that as long as I'm in the land of the living, as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as I have the ability to move and have my being, I'm going to believe God that when the calendar changes a year, that there is going to be a shift in things in my life. There's going to be differences in my seasons for certain reasons, and God is going to show up and show off and do things that I've never seen before, and I believe he can do it in 2024. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, amen. amen. That will preach right there. 
I mean, we could just go word for word in this context and be blessed by this passage. And once again, you could say this passage at any time in your life, and God will, God will partner with you in the faith that you have towards this word. But especially right now, right now, everybody say right now. Right now, what do you see God putting in your heart? And understand this, that what you and I are seeing is just a little drop of the ocean of what God has planned. <laughs> Come on. I mean, as the year changes and we look at the changes of our life, there are things that God wants to do that go beyond our imagination. And how many of you got a big imagination? Come on, somebody. And sometimes people say, well, what if it doesn't happen? What if it, you know what, then we're not understanding what God is doing in the midst of it. Well, I'm going to have $100 million this year. I only ended up with $10. What happened? Well, God's teaching you something. Amen. Because that doesn't mean $100 is not coming. It just means you had to go through this stage right here. You had to go through the introduction. You had to go through this stage. But it doesn't mean stop dreaming about that thing. I mean, you think about Joseph, all these characters of the Bible. One of them is my favorite when you talk about stuff like this is Joseph. You think about Joseph, he starts off with that dream, but he has to go through all of those, all of those opportunities to grow before he sees the dream come true. I like, as one person said, you don't lose, you learn. Can I hear an amen to that? You don't lose, you learn. Every setback, every failure, every mistake is an opportunity to learn. And yet greatness is in the everyday learning opportunities. When did Michael Jordan become Michael Jordan? Was it only after the championship or was it during the time of losing to the high school tryouts, not getting picked on the team or the games that he lost? See, when is the champion made? The champion is not made when everybody else crowns them the champion. The champion is made through the losses that turn into lessons through life. That's when the champion is forged. Amen? That's when your life is given its real meaning because you become familiar with the valley to understand the mountaintop. That's why so often you got to be careful about even what you wish for because those that are normally looking up to the upper middle class, to the wealthy, don't understand that the price their children pay for their success. Study the lives of the wealthy and what becomes of their children. Why is it? Because oftentimes the children don't understand the struggle that the parents had to go through, the lessons they had to go through to have that success. They just start at the success. And if the parents don't know how to instill in them the lesson of the struggle, the successes will become the noose around their neck that will choke and destroy them. I'm being honest with you. You look at their lives of the children and you look at what they become. So often they become only a, a dwindling shadow of their parents at best. And at worst they turn into utter darkness and don't even make it as far as their parents did in life because of their addictions, because of their relational problems and their depression. Why is that? 
Why is it like Dan Blazerian, if I'm saying his name right, born to the most wealthiest family or one of them of Europe, became one of the biggest playboys on the Instagram, and he's about my age, and he already, I believe, had like three or four overdoses on the most hardest drugs you can ever get. Why would he be searching for it out there if the money was what was supposed to make him happy? Didn't he already have it? Shouldn't he have been happy if that's where it was? Uh, notoriety, fame, power? Shouldn't he already have been satisfied if that's truly the meaning of life? Why is he still looking for more? Because he understood the concept that only God can give more. Well, I should say he, he experienced that concept because the drainage of the soul with the devil is an endless pit that can never be filled. Only God can fill the hole in your soul. Are you listening to me? God is the only one that can give more without you taking on more troubles. The Bible says he adds wealth to the righteous, but no trouble to it. Where when you talk to the wicked, it's more money, more problems. And they're being honest. I remember Cardi B. I'm bringing up some, some strange names in this service. Dan Blazerian. And then now Cardi B is coming up. Lord save both of them. Cardi B was saying, why are you all hating on me? I have to spend 10000 on my outfit. I have to spend 1000 on my nails. So y'all keep following me. Do you see the price they're paying to their idols? You see what they're giving to their idols, and, and, they're, and they're living by the principle, whether they understand it or not, that more money, more problems. More money, more problems. But the Bible says he adds wealth to us, but adds no sorrow to it. We should be able to go from glory to glory to glory without having to experience the goriness of life. When you read this passage, what comes to your mind in your life immediately? What just shows up? I start thinking about my family, what's most important to me. And I start thinking about the dreams that I have for them. And then I can, I can hear God say through this passage, I want to do more through your children than you can even imagine right now. I start thinking about my friends and this church, and I hear God saying, I can do more. And then I look at my finances, and I go, I have dreams and visions for my personal finances. Not only do I want the church to grow to be able to bring people on staff this next year, but I want to grow my finances enough personally to give all of my salary back to the church. That's my goal. Somebody say, that's his goal. Amen. That's what I want to do. And I don't want to do it by selling books to the same people who attend my church or preaching more conferences. I want to do it out in the world like you have to do it. I want to be able to whoop them and get it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes I look at these Christians in, in ministry and leadership, and they always use what they have to, to market the church. You know, now the pastor wants to sell vitamins and health care, and he's selling it back to the church like he's going to be a health coach. I'm telling you, I got pastor friends that are health coaches. I mean, God bless them and all of that. I mean, we need health in the church, but they just want to sell it back to the church, you know. I even have people call me up, and thank God that I don't, I don't get into this, because I know you would be looking at me weirder than you look at me now, but they even call me, oh, you're a pastor. You should help me do this, because I'm doing this as a pastor, and I'm like, I ain't doing none of that. If I'm going to go out and make money, I'm going to go out and make money like the way you go out and make money. You don't have to go, when you go out there, you don't tell them, well, I go to Metro Praise, and I'm a deacon. Here's, some, here's my hand. I'll take it. They would look at you crazy. How many know what I'm talking about? You're a salesperson. Well, I'm a deacon at Metro Praise. I'll take your sale now. No, you need to go out there 
not using the network of the church in that way to build your success. You have to do it based on your goods and services, amen? And that's just a personal conviction for me. I've been full-time in the ministry now over 25 years, and the Lord told me in my latter years to do this. So let's pray with me, amen? Let's, let's do this. I would love to have a church of, you know, 100,000 people and still me having this income come through the ways that I feel the Lord's put in my heart, and I can give back my salary. I'm, I'm looking to that as a dream that God can do. Why not? Can I hear an amen to that? I mean, that's a great admission. Paul said he was able to do ministry without taking money from the church. I would like to end my life being able to say that based on what I was able to produce in the world, not taking, of course, any time and attention away from the church. So those are the things I start to think about immediately. Immediately in my heart, I start thinking about my family. I start thinking about the church. I start thinking about the finances. And then you can start to break it down into subcategories. I start thinking about what God's put in my heart to do on YouTube. And how just over a few, you know, a few videos, I already got up to, uh, you know, a few hundred subscribers. My biggest video, 20,000 views. And, and what I did this past year is I reacted to funny videos and I put Jesus in it. So there's a lot of teaching out there and I still do that on different venues. But in YouTube, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. I just felt like reacting to some funny stuff. So I would go on there with my personality, reacting to it, drawing people in, and then I would bring in a scripture. And I know it sounds kind of weird, but it, it, it started working. And the biggest video that I got was me reacting to Ali G going and doing his little pranks on people. And I was like, man, this, this dude's funny, but this is how I would respond in over 20,000 views. Somebody say, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. So I'm praying about that for the year. I also have a teaching gift. And many of you see me come online and doing that. And there's a channel for that. You know, most uh, people who are entrepreneur have multiple channels of income, multiple opportunities of gifts and artistic uh, vision. How many are like me? you got multiple pots in the fire, pans in the fire, anybody else? And it's okay to focus on one thing, and you need to be good at that as well. But I'm just uh, open to what the Lord has to do. Another thing for me is I look at the ministry is writing. You know, I've written over 20 books. Now I'm writing some more. AI is really helping me. I'm putting out some new books, uh, Lord willing, in 24. One's going to be my first fiction. Another one is a book for pastors. It's already done, but I haven't released it yet. And then I'm rewriting the Islam book. And then whatever the Lord gives me along the way. Somebody say, God can do it. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just, I'm just talking about more. Somebody say more in 2024. Amen. That's what I'm talking about for me. But where does your mind go? Where do you go into the, into the dreams of your heart? Where do you go in imaginations? Because God cares about those things. So this is what I would like you to do. If you have a notebook or you have it on your phone, would you pull it out as we go to this next slide? And I want you now to start to fill in the blanks of what God is telling you to do in these three areas. In the second service, by God's grace, I'll bring up other ones. So if this is a message that these kind of things really inspire you, then make sure you listen this week to the message I'll be preaching in second service because I'm going to bring up other things. And the first thing is devotion. What I felt for this service is that many of you need to make a deeper commitment in your devotion to God this year than you've ever done before so that God will open up to you the spiritual world in ways you have never seen it before. The spiritual world is always intersecting with the natural world in such a way that it should be commonplace for us to see the hints of God's divine presence everywhere we go and in everything we do. We shouldn't take it for granted that God is with us, in us, and moving through us. Come on, somebody say God is with us. So he's here in this place, he's with us. Somebody say he's in us, and somebody say he's moving through us. You see how that works? He's with us. 
And that is in the general sense of the omnipresence of God because he's with even the sinner in that sense of his presence moving in their heart to convict them. So he's with us. He's not a God that's far away as Islam and other religions believe. No, God is with us. But then as a Christian, he is where? In us. He's closer than the air that we breathe. He's he's intermingling his thoughts with ours. Oftentimes people say, well, if God speaks to you, Joe, how does he sound? And then when I go, well, he sounds like me, they go, then you're just talking to yourself then. No, how do you want God to talk to me in my thoughts? Do you want him to invade me with another voice? Are you listening to me? Joe, and like you hear this other voice inside your head, whoa. I don't believe that's how God has ever spoke. I believe when he does that audibly, he speaks in his voice. He speaks in our language. But the Bible says when he speaks to our heart, it's as spirit speaking to spirit. And so when you ask me, this is a deep thought now, because this will get them to start backing up, thinking they were sassy when you start getting deep with them, is what do thoughts sound like when we don't have ears in our mind? You think it sounds like your voice, but that's just the way you recognize it. But do thoughts actually have an audible sound or an accent? I don't think they do. I think that's just your way of understanding it. Sometimes those of us here who speak different languages, I like to ask, which language do you think in? You know what I'm talking about. But do thoughts have a language? No, it's just the way you're understanding them. So you can get real deep with that sassy person who tries to make fun of your thoughts, having the voice of God in them. All you have to start doing is asking them what are thoughts to begin with. What is the actual substance of a mental thought? How many are going to get a little deep with me here? Isn't that kind of fun? Thinking about what you're thinking about. Are you doing that? What's thinking about what you're thinking about? Your thinker, your soul. Your soul can multitask. Right now, think about the favorite foods you had during Christmas time. Think about it. The favorite food you had during Christmas time. Before I ask you that question, were you thinking about it? So where was it? Where was that thought? (laughs) Sometimes they say it's stored in the brain. No, brain damage shows us that sometimes memory is related to how the brain works, but it's not always in the brain or the parts of the brain they think it is. That's why when they say they're going to map it and download it, they're not even close to understanding any of these things. I'm being honest with you. These are the smartest of the smartiest pants out there. They still don't know the soft problem, answer to consciousness, or the hard problem. Look it up when you want to fall asleep sometime. Read some of those articles on the soft problem of consciousness and the hard problem of consciousness. So what are these thoughts? What are these inner workings of our mind? They're not just physical. The thought that you have can be right or wrong, but the chemical in your brain can't be right or wrong. A thought inside of your mind can be colorful while the gray matter of your brain remains the same color. The thought of your mind can be good or evil while the instincts of an animal, no no such thing. You see, your mind is a part of what God made fearfully and wonderfully. And in your devotion to God, it starts with what you think about. It starts with what you believe about things. It starts with how you see things in the world. And it also incorporates how you hear and receive things. And most importantly, to be devoted to God, you have to learn to recognize God's voice. 
His still small voice. And a, and a privilege of the Christian, the Bible says, is that we hear his voice and we respond to it. Isn't that something? That the Christian knows the voice of God. How many know before you were a Christian, you thought things to your th- yourself? But how many know after you became a Christian, some of those thoughts weren't yourself anymore? You just knew that. If the atheist in the world that mocks us was so right, then why can't they just eliminate all the mysticism of it and we all just agree, I'm just being stupid and playing make-believe. And yet all of us here, if you're a true Christian, you understood your thoughts the day before you got saved. And yet after you got saved, there was another program running through the DOS of your mind, the hardware of your mind, and you knew that wasn't you. And you've seen miracles come through that. And you saw divine appointments come. Am I talking to anybody that's heard the voice of God? And I say this without being ridiculing or to put you down. If you have not seen that yet, you may not be saved. Because the Bible truly says that those who are saved hear the voice of God. Now, some of you may deal with mental illness, and you do hear other voices because some of the hard wine of your mind is is messed up. And listen to me. Do not be under condemnation for that. We'll help you, and Christian counselors will help you discern that. Because there's been many a crazy folk who thought they heard from God and drowned their children, and that's not what we're saying either. Can I hear an amen? So don't put that on us. Don't put that. We're very, very logical here. And at the same time, we understand that only so far can we go in the natural realm to understand the things that are most important to us. In other words, where is love in your brain? And yet you feel it so often. Where is intuition in your brain? You see, these things we take for granted, the very thing that the scientist does while he's doing the science is coming not just from a physical matter called the brain, it's coming from his soul. And listen, brothers and sisters, in that place, God wants to do something more. In the place of where you live day to day, because all of us, we are the starring role of our movie called Our Life. How many know I'm just the supporting actor of your life? But you're a supporting actor in my life because I saw you for an hour and then I go about my life, right? And so I'm the star of my life. You're the co-star. But in your life, I'm the co-star, right? I just came to see Joe for an hour today. Now you go about your day. Do you know that there's actually a a philosophical belief that says that only one person's psyche is existing right now, and we're all just a figment of that imagination, so we're in the dream of a God. How many know that's kind of silly? And if that God decides to wake up, where do we all go? (laughs) It's called solipsism. Solipsism. And so if you study this, you'll see that this is nonsense, but how about this? We are in the mind of God in that he has created matter, space, and time for us to be with him. So you just take a little bit of their foolishness, add the truth to it, and you can see where they're coming from because there has to be a source of the intelligence. There has to be a unifying factor, the many and the one. And so in one sense, we are all in the thought of God, in the mind of God. But he didn't just create it in his brain. He created it outside of himself in matter, space, and time. And so we are very much here right now, just to let you know, we're not in the matrix. And we are very much responsible for what we do here. And one of the things I want to encourage you with, as I'm seeking the Lord with you this year for more, is to add devotion to our lives in ways that we we've never done before. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Can I hear an amen? Verse 1. Come on. We're going to learn quickly about the, the foolish virgins and the wise virgins. How many have heard this before? It's a parable of Jesus. 
And what, what is the theme of the story here? I'll just give you the, the synopsis as we read the first few, for views, first few verses. Help me, Jesus. Let the brain work with my mouth today. How many know that's your soul thinking faster than your body? Amen. Slow down. There we go. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. So here's Jesus' parable. Who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were what? Five of them were what? Come on. Five of them were foolish. Five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take enough what with them? Oil. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take enough oil. Get it? Get in your heart today with them. The wise ones, however, took oil jars along with their what? The lamps. Amen. Now let me just give it to you in summary. Please take your time to read it if you haven't. The bridegroom comes a little bit later than they were expecting. And the ones who did not take the jars with them, who only had the oil in the lamp that they brought, ran out. And then they asked the others, hey, man, you've got the jar. You're good. Share some of that with me. Somebody say sharing is caring. But sometimes sharing is just socialism and it don't work, (laughs) as my one friend said. Because if we all end up sharing, we all get poor together. There has to be a point where sharing doesn't make sense anymore, and you got to be wise for yourself. Can I hear an amen? I mean, you can only divide the food so long until there's no more food left. A man doesn't work. He doesn't eat according to the scriptures. And so these wise virgins say, I can't do that. Just scroll down a little bit so they can see it, please, in the context. The wise virgin says, no, because if we give you, there will not be enough for us, both of us. And instead, you go sell some oil, uh, go to those who sell oil, and buy some for yourselves. Somebody say, you got to get it for yourself. This is what I consider the devotional life. I can't give you my prayer time. I can't give you my Bible study. I can't give you the meditation of my heart before God. I cannot share that with you. I can tell you where to get it. I can share with you the secret place and help you to go there and to give you instruction. And we can help each other there. And at times we can come together, two or three gather together as we are even now. And we can all increase in our understanding of those things. But I can't pray for you. I can't study for you. I can't confess the word of God for you, and I can't rebuke the enemy in the thoughts that you're having for you. Can I hear an amen? So go get your own oil. And where is that oil? Where is it in your life today? See, they knew in this example of where to go buy it, they knew where to have the sellers give it to them. And so every person here today, today that's hearing me needs to take time out and say, God, where are you giving me this precious oil? Where is it? Some of you, it may be on the commute to work. You start meditating on the things of God. For some of you, it may be family devotions, taking more time instead of just watching movies, but taking time with your children. Somebody say, God cares. See, God cares about the little things. Yesterday, I was spending time in my private devotions, and uh, the Lord said, you're done. Go and hang out with your family. And I don't always hear that. Sometimes I just sense in my heart that I'm good, and I'll go move on to the next thing because, you know, otherwise you'll be in bondage to praying all day, and then you'll become a monk with a funny hairdo and then, you know, making wine on the side, okay, like Friar Tuck or something, you know, from Robin Hood. Uh, You know, so, you you know, you just got to be in the flow. You know, God gives us a brain for a purpose. God helps us to understand wisdom, and so we don't always have to wait for the thus as the Lord, but in my prayer and devotional time, somebody say, God said. See, God said, it's time to go. 
Go be with your family. And so I kind of carried with me that anointing oil that I had burning in my private time. I kind of carried it with me to my family time. And, of course, when I went down into the kitchen, I saw a whole different kind of scene going on. Not as bad as what Moses saw with Aaron, but I saw a bunch of craziness going on in my family. Kids watching Mr. Beast's videos, another one on the pad, somebody fighting over the new helicopter they got and all of these things going on. Nancy, you know, making meals. And so it, it doesn't feel like I'm on the mountaintop anymore. So I just, you know, I sit down on the couch, but I'm still in the anointing. Somebody say the oil's burning. And so I go, let me see what's on this YouTube thing, because whatever they were watching, I didn't want to watch anymore. So I, I, let me just say it like this. When dad comes in the room, everything changes. Anybody else have a house like that or grew up in a house? That's how our house is. When, I, when daddy comes in, everything changes. The TV will change. The tone will change. Every, everything changes. So I'm there and as the patriarchal leader, and I believe in that role model, but uh, that example of role model. So I sit down. They're cool with it. They understand now. Well, at least that's what they tell me. Who knows what they'll tell the counselor in 10 years? Amen. Dad just always changed everything. It was always about him and his favorite seat and all that. Pray for me. Amen. So I come down. Everything's off now. Everything's being controlled to the way I want to see it because I just believe God has put me in charge of that house and we're going to do what I'm going to do here now that I'm down because we're going to have family time so everybody's required to be around. And now I'm flipping through. And the moment that I sit down and start flipping through, you know what I see? The ramp with Karen Wheaton is having winter camp. And the moment I see that, something in my heart says, we need to watch this with the kids. Karen Wheaton was a famous gospel singer of the 80s and 90s, and God told her to start a youth program in Alabama to reach young people. And now there are thousands of young people on fire for Jesus. It is a powerful, powerful ministry. I even said to my kids, I said, I know you guys go to camps, and I know I send you guys to uh, conventions. Have you ever seen anything like this? And they haven't seen anything like that except at this church and other churches. And I said, that's the way it used to be when we went to camp and so forth. So it's on fire. Somebody say, on fire. Amen. And guess what? These young people are doing their skits and their dramas and they're testifying. Uh, I don't know if they had an African theme, but a lot of the, the, the human videos they were dancing to were from Africa and they were powerful. And man, just a few moments, tears are streaming down my face. And I have to make it weird. I always pause and I go, look at me, guys, tears in my eyes. My, my kids will tell you I do this with them. I don't know why. But I just want to let them know I'm now under the anointing again. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. And we go back to watching this, and I'm praying for this for your uh, service tonight. And don't let me forget about that because they're doing a, a New Year's Eve service tonight for New Man. And if you're interested, you should come out tonight and bring in the New Year with some new Holy Ghost friends. Amen. And so the tears are coming down my eyes as the testimonies are coming forth. And do you know and, and, and that I, I have never played anything like this in front of my kids, but do you know that two out of the three testimonies we listened to were from backslidden church kids that had hid their sin and their issues when they were in the church feeling like they had to be perfect, but then God did a work in them, showed them their true identity, and they got on fire. Somebody say, God knows. You see, you got to know where the oil is. You don't think I had tears in my eyes hearing those kids testify? I then looked at my kids and I said, any pastor kids here got to testify or to get some sin out? Come on. Any of you got to repent? I said, it's better for you to get it out now than to live in hidden sin because then you got two problems. You got your sin and then you got your hypocrisy. Not every sinner is a hypocrite. Are you listening to me? Sin does not make you by definition a hypocrite. The hypocrisy comes when you hide your sin. But you see, God knew that the oil was burning right there. 
So I come from my devotional time to my couch. And then of all things to see, I see a winter camp going on. And then for all the testimonies to hear, I hear pastor kids testifying. Going back to the slide, please. I want you to look at your life right now and start to ponder, God, where are you giving me that oil this year? Where can I hear your voice? Because people who say they do not hear the voice of God, I'm being honest with you, have not learned to be quiet. And that's a nice way of saying it. Come on, I'll just say it the real way. Sometimes you got to shut up and listen. Can I say that in this Holy Ghost-filled church? I don't mean to be crass, crass or crude, but I mean to be honest, we just got to stop talking. When I first got saved, there was a desire for me in the presence of God to listen. Somehow I knew, and I think it came from that moment of salvation, that there was someone there now that wanted to speak with me. And so early on in my Christianity, I knew that God was talking. And then I would go to my, my private prayer time, and I would begin to journal. And I was even looking at those with my kids not too long ago, and even you when we were together. Remember in the basement, and I pulled out that old briefcase, and there were some of those white uh, scrolls of paper, you know, whatever, and I was flipping them over, and I was showing you these are things that God gave me. And they're coming to pass even now. Where is your devotion to the Lord? Where is the more there? Don't just wait right now for the more. Go to the places God is setting you up to give you the more. You can't stay where you're at and see something you've never seen. Even the world knows this. If you want to see something you've never seen, you've got to do what you've never done. If you want to watch God bless you this year, if you want to watch him take you from glory to glory to glory, you need to develop an intimacy with him, a jar of oil that just keeps burning all throughout your days. Can I hear an amen? One more as I testify about Brother Autry. Autry, would you raise your hand? Let's give it for Brother Autry's beautiful wife. Amen. Autry and I were talking on the phone, and, and he was patient with me, but I was sitting in a parking lot about ready to go to the gym because, you know, I multitask, and I didn't want to be distracting. The conversation went well, right? I wasn't distracted, okay? And we're talking about his life and all of these wonderful things going on and the desires of his heart. We get to the end of the discussion. How many always know you got to pray? Amen. And now I pray. And while I'm praying, I hear the Lord say to me, let him know that he's going to sing songs over a generation to bring them freedom in the marching cry. You know, the, you think about these uh, bands. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, young people are in bands these days, especially in the South. They used to have the, the bands go down there to the New Orleans uh, Stadium where the Saints would play, and they would have a band off there, man, and they would play, and they would, you know, march around. You know where many of those drum sounds and those beats came from was the sound of war. Are you all listening to me? Even the bass drum today is about that drum that they would sound for war. It's also the sound of celebration, but it was like a war cry. So I hear that in my spirit, and then I get done praying, and then I share with him that simple thing that God gave me. Well, first of all, I was nervous, I'll be honest with you, because the teacher is bold, but the prophet in me is shy. And I, and I wish that some prophets would be more shy, to be honest with you, because they're spouting off a lot of nonsense sometimes. Amen. Uh, be with our prophets, Lord. Help them to use wisdom and, and uh, to, to hold back sometimes or not add to it. Okay. And I believe in the gift of the prophetic. Uh, I'm, but I'm, I'm getting this word, so I'm shy. So the first thing that I said to him is, brother, do you sing by any chance? 
Now, you have to understand, if if I ever knew that about him, it wasn't in my mind at that time. I did not know that about him at that time. And and he might have shared that with me, but it was not in my mind. Otherwise, I might have been more confident coming out. But I just said to him, I said, brother, do you sing? And he says, oh, yeah, I love to sing. And I said, well, then now let me share this with you. I had a little more confidence, amen. I said, well, while we were praying, as he's working with his father's church, that's what we were talking about, I said, the Lord put in my heart for you to sing over that church and to begin to awaken the young people to the things of God. And here is this man. He is not a yes man. He can be a witness to it. He then said, brother, I'm about ready to meet with my dad as we discuss my worship leading and music ministry in that church. Is that not true, man of God? Come on. Hallelujah. You want to talk about now walking about 10 feet taller in the prophetic. I'm ready to prophesy now. Okay, I got a word for you and a word for you. Just $5.99 and I got another word for you too, sister. Half kid here. Sow a seed. But where's that oil? You know, you know where that came from? Is that the Lord told me whenever I give godly counsel, I need to remember to pray. See, there, there's the oil. See, you, you just don't give the counsel like they do on the job. Okay, we got it, Bob. We're good. You're going to have that report ready? Okay, good. That's not how Christians are. We pray. If I gave you life-changing advice, if I, gave, if I spoke into your heart, if you're speaking into someone else's heart, you need to put that on God. You need to give time for the Holy Ghost to speak. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, we go into our prayers and we speak so fast we're not listening to the person we're talking to. Oh, God, I just want to say this, this, and this, and run on. And God's like, but, but, ah, and he's wanting to talk. Obviously, we can't silence the voice of God, but we don't hear him because we move on. And God's like, you just struck up a conversation with me. When do I get to talk now? I thought this was prayer, not just you announcing something. How many know prayer is a two-way street? It's a communication. And so while I was praying, and I'm learning this, and I'm getting better at this, is to hear what now the one I'm talking to is saying to me. When was the last time you prayed and let God talk? Let him share his heart with you. It's in those moments, the, the secret place as it's known, that you begin to see that God is always speaking his word, encouraging us. And sometimes it can just be a confirmation. Other times it can be new information. Can I hear an Amen. Going now to finances. Go with me to Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. So often people talk to me about their finances. I'm not a financial planner. But I just think, you know, many of you, you look to me as a leader. You see that my life has been blessed. And you ask me questions about it. Uh, My father was a financial planner, a professional at it. But I just give you the basic uh, advice. And the basic advice is put God first in all that you do. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then all that you need will be added unto you. I don't know what house you should buy. I don't know what car you should get. And these things, I will pray with you, and if I hear a word, amen, I'll speak it. But most of the time, that's rare for me to hear a word like that. That's very rare, and I am listening most of the time. And I want to be honest with you. Over the years of my life, those who I have seen consistently get on base financially are the ones who are committed in their tithes and offerings. Come on, Presbyterians. Can I hear a Pentecostal amen? Amen. I'm just speaking from my experience, and there's nothing you can do to change it because it's already over. 25-plus years of ministry. Hundreds, if not thousands of people that I have pastored intimately, knowing the ins and outs of their life, sharing life with them, eating in their homes, going on trips with them, spending time with their children. And I'm here to say to you, that I have always seen a consistency 
and the blessings of God and those who give tithes and offerings. I haven't met many millionaires, billionaires. I don't think I've met one because they haven't told me they're one, so I, I haven't met any. And yet I've seen God bless his people faithfully over and over and over again when people know how to put him first in their tithes and offerings. I've had people argue with me, and they're never tithers. And you notice that. The tither never argues about it. It's always the non-tither. Why is that? Because the tither has already seen the blessings. There's no reason to argue about it. We've already been blessed by it. And I, and I just want to tell you as, as a person who came up through the church but then had my chance to leave as a new Christian, I could have joined any denomination. You know, As I got newly saved, I didn't have to go to my parents' church. But I want to tell you, I saw so many testimonies in my family's ministry that I would be stupid to go and try something else. Are you with me? And then I've met people who didn't have that upbringing come into the blessing of God. And many of you are sitting here even right now, and you would testify. You weren't even raised this way, and you were even told not to do it by friends and family. And yet as you committed to the Lord your finances, you've been blessed more than ever before. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, do I see, do I see t- uh, tithers every now and then on the struggle bus? Yeah. They'll have a seat on the struggle bus, but they don't last very long there. They start speaking the word. They sow their way out. They understand if what's in their hand doesn't meet their need, it's their seed. And then it, for some reason, and I know what it is, but I'm just being a little sassy now. For some reason, those who are responsible with the tithe are responsible to come into work on time. And what is that reason? That's the Holy Ghost advantage. Man, you know you're giving away 10% of your income. You better keep income coming in. (laughs) You ain't going to see no tither be lazy. There, it gave away 10% of it. I got to keep working, Jack. I can't play around here. Come on, somebody. I mean, that's a lot of money. You talk, I don't care if you're a billionaire. What's a tithe off a billion? That's $100 million, man. You better make that up somehow. But as one preacher said, when somebody said to him, I can't afford to tithe, he said, you can't afford not to tithe. Those of us who have been tithing, who have been in the house of God, whether it's this house or another a local congregation, we know that God takes covenant serious when we give to him. And I've had all of the debates, and I have the books that go both ways, and it's not a heaven or hell issue, but I'm here to ta- today to testify that there's something about the more, somebody say the more, that's attached to the tithe. It's attached to it. I see how God operates like that. I've watched it over the years. I've seen how he gives to ordinary people. I'm not talking about a televangelist, though they, they're, you know, they're blessed in their own right. I'm not hating. I'm celebrating whatever God's doing, if they're doing it honestly. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about ordinary people that I have followed throughout the years. Like Pastor Ray, Lord willing, will be with us in January. How many remember Pastor Ray Lierna from the Philippines? And he's an ordinary pastor with an extraordinary gift. But what I'm saying is he's not world famous. He doesn't have a televangelism ministry. And yet you will see God bless him consistently. My parents weren't millionaires, and yet they were consistently blessed all throughout their life. And they can talk about the miracles, even at times when they had to close businesses. And then the brothers and sisters that I've seen in this church, that time does not allow us to testify, but I wish that I could for you to come up and talk about how in covenant with God, as you gave to him the 10%, he gave you well beyond that the 120% in return. Amen? 
And after all, all of it belongs to God. And it's not like paying a bill. It's sowing a seed. That's the way I look at it. It's not that we're just paying off God like he needs the money. What we're doing is we're supporting what God is behind, and we're putting our faith into action. And the Bible says faith without works is dead. But faith that has the action behind it is what sees the miracle. Look, every place in the Bible where God does a financial miracle, it is preceded by the gift giving of a seed. Whether it's the widow or someone in distress giving the little bit that they have or it's the Israelites while they're in the desert tithing. My my brothers and sisters, God recognizes the faithfulness of his people. I remember one time hearing a story about a pastor in Korea starting after the Korean War in an old Korean uh, military tent, a church. And he uh, began to believe God for miracles, and the tent began to fill up. And so they wanted to get a building. And this is after a war. Somebody say, after a war. I mean, that's a pretty hard time to get a building, isn't there? I mean, there's, there's no buildings, and whatever's left, you know, it's probably super expensive. And how do you even get money? The economy's just restarting. But God gave them the idea to get a plot of land and to build their own building. And this and their equivalent would be like millions of dollars. And yet, no matter how many he had in the tent, his, his size and offerings wasn't even close to that. Most of them weren't even employed yet. By the way, now you look at South Korea and how blessed they are. I believe it came through testimonies like this. This man said, I hear from God, I heard from God for us to do X amount of dollars for this property. I don't know where it's going to come from, but I know he'll provide. Will you believe with me and we'll go forward? He got a word. Somebody say he got a word. And as he did that, he started receiving offerings. And one time he said it was so discouraging in a sense that he almost forbade it because the people were so poor. He said a poor widow, just like you hear in the Bible, came up and said, I'm going to give my bowl that I cook my rice in and my chopsticks that I eat my rice with. I'm going to give this before the Lord. And, and, and you know, he even tells the story. He says, I felt so bad. I put too much pressure on my, my church, my people. Now they're giving me even their utensils. This woman don't have anything to eat. And she said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll use the bowl that my other family member has, so I won't have my own anymore, but we'll share one because there are a lot of families living together there. And instead of using the chopsticks, I'll use my hands. He said, I can't let you do that. You need to keep this. This is not going to make a difference anyways. Just keep it. And then God struck him in the heart and said, don't you stop that woman from giving. She has to give. She has to lay it there before God. And he said that as the woman did that, people started giving generously throughout those next weeks and months. And as they gave, they started to be the ones a part of the government and the jobs that started to develop. And as we came there and helped rebuild the nation, they started being chosen. And that church became the largest church in the world, Pastor Young Ji Cho, full gospel center in Seoul, Korea. Over 700,000 members planted churches all over Asia. And it started with the sacrifice of people saying, here's what I got, God, use it. Like the, like the boy with the loaves and fishes. It's not much, Jesus, but you, you, asked, you asked for it, so here it is. I give it freely. Look at what the Bible says here in Malachi. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. So it starts first with the leaders. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled it? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer, look at this, blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, 
animals. Is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord? Now plead with God to be gracious on us with such offerings and your hand, from your hands will he accept from you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that someone would shut the temple doors, close down the church, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar, for I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. I mean, this is serious here. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets, and every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. You see, these priests were offering up the, the, the blind animals, the lame animals, because they were keeping the best for themselves. And the people, as we go on further to Malachi chapter uh, 3 here, uh, excuse me, 2 verse 6, go to 2 verse 6 quickly for the context. And the people were doing the same thing, not only the priests, but also the people. It says, true instructions were in his mouth. Nothing was false on his lips. I'm sorry, it is 3, 6. And, and you see the people compromise. I am the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your ancestors. You have turned away from my decree. So it's not just the priests. Everybody see that? And have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. But they say, how will we return? Will a mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. How do you rob me? In tithes and offerings you are under a what? Come on, verse 9. You're under a what? A curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So we see in chapter 1 it's the priests and it's also the people in chapter 3. Somebody say, God have mercy. Brothers and sisters, do not rob God. It's already his. Give him your best. That's what a tithe represents. It represents your best. Now, I won't do this, but I know some of my friends or preachers will. Anytime they are asked by the congregation to pray for financial blessing, the first thing they ask is if you're tithing. Uh, my one uh, guy that I follow, he said when, the, when a, a man started dating his daughter, the first thing he wanted to check was his tithing records, pull them up. <laughs> now, I know that may sound a little bit petty, but how can you trust a man with your daughter if you can't be trusted with money before God? It makes sense to me. And let me just share this quickly in closing about lending to nations. We see that Reinhard Bonnke in Africa was a great lender of nations to the prosperity in Africa as God was blessing him. As well as Rodney Howard Brown traveling throughout Africa testified that some of these newly baptized in Jesus' name Christian nations are now asking the missionaries for help to rebuild their nations with the prosperity of God as God is putting his hand of protection upon them. And one of these nations, Rodney Howard Brown lent money to so that they could start building water wells and take care of their people. Somebody say God did it again. And now some of the largest churches are in Africa and they're now sending missionaries around the world. Some of the largest churches are in Africa. How did that come about? Because the missionaries went there, preached the gospel, built up the places so that the name of Jesus would be made strong. Islam would not, Islam would not take over. And now God is blessing these wonderful nations. We'll lend to nations, brothers and sisters. I want to go when we go to the Philippines and find areas to help and lend to those people so that they can grow and become prosperous there. As we get ready to close here, the last one that I had, and I'll leave it for you as the band comes for you to do your homework this week as the slide goes up there as well, brothers, is spiritual gifts, the Bible says, to be eager for them. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need more in my life today because there's more challenges before me. There's more things to do. My children are getting older. It was one thing when you took them to five below, but now they want Nikes. I used to get them their clothes at Walmart, brother, but now my kid wants Jordans. 
I better get some raises going on. You know, I see, I see some nice shoes over there. You know, before they were cool with Walmart shoes. Now they got to have, you know, the what? What are those shoes that are like? Um, no, no, these are like the casual ones that they slip into. Crocs. They want the Crocs now. You know, you can get Crocs at Walmart for five dollars. They just don't say Croc on them. I was fishing one day in some generic-looking Crocs. And one of our friends that we know, Noah, made fun of me. He said, are you wearing Crocs for whatever reason? That used to be you'd make fun of somebody because he's like a highfalutin guy. And now that's the most popular shoe out there. I didn't even have the real Croc. I had a Walmart Croc on. And, and yet, man, that dude thought he would make fun of me for wearing that style. Now that style is in. So here's, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I know that our needs are growing, but is our sowing growing? We have to sow more if we want to receive more. I know that your problems may be growing as life complicates. A lot of times we talk to married couples, uh, excuse me, engaged couples, and we say, listen, you think you're stressed out now before the marriage. This is the least busy you'll ever be in a marriage. Because once you get married and you start having kids, man, you'll be wishing for the days you were engaged just planning one ceremony. Are you listening to me? And so I get it, brothers and sisters. We live in a world of challenges. But you need to increase with those challenges. Do not let the flood overwhelm you. As the Bible says, let him raise up a standard to meet the challenge of your life so that you just don't thrive or survive. You what? You thrive. Let's give it up for Jesus. Come on, would you stand up with me? God bless you, saints. Brother, would you move this for me? Thank you. Father, we close in prayer today looking at our lives from the message you gave us. As the altar workers come, would you look at your life right now? If you yet do not have Jesus or a confidence or assurance, would you ask him to be the Lord of your life right now? If you have not yet heard his voice, say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I'll be quiet and start listening. Speak to me, your servant is listening. For the rest of us here who are already saved, come on, look at your life right now. Where do you want to see the more in 2024? I believe God is speaking through those desires. It didn't say we weren't supposed to imagine or we weren't supposed to ask. What it was just saying is that God will do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. But of course, you're supposed to still think, ask, and imagine. So start there right now. Father, I ask you to bless our families. Bless our jobs. Bless our talents. Bless those things that we've put before you, oh God. Move and guide us. Help us to have that oil burning in our lamps every day. Show us on the lunch break where we're supposed to be. Show us, oh God, on the weekends where we spend our time, in our free time at night when we get home from work. Oh Lord, give us the dreams and visions in our sleep. A few moments right now. There is more for you in 2024. As we're getting ready to dismiss, if any of these things spoke to your heart, please come forward. But I want to believe God with you as Lawrence comes up here for us to pray tonight for our New Year's Eve service. Father, I thank you today for new man. I thank you that tonight we're making an opportunity for souls to be saved and encouraged as we bring in this new year. I pray for those, God, to come out and to be blessed and for safety and traveling conditions. And, Lord, for young people to get set on fire as they see the talents, the rap, and the dancing and all these wonderful things. And that, Lord, what you do here, even on a special occasion, you'll continue to do throughout the year as there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't stop. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, saints. Have a wonderful new year. Come back next year with some testimonies. Amen.